Amen. Yeah, so I have a couple of things I need to say to you right away. First, uh, I did not wear this hat during first service, and now I feel like I'm paying the price, uh, and that I've got to put it back on because my, you know, I don't have much hair up there, and uh, yeah, you know, my bald brother's out there, and so, yeah, I appreciate that support. Um, I'm, I'm, my wife told me before I left today, she said, don't you dare preach with a hat on. You know, that it's somehow unbiblical to, to do so. And I said, well, you know, I, 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 I'm gonna be trying not to pray with a hat on, so I'll try to remove my hat when I pray, but otherwise, you know, I may be up here, I may just pass out. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is this, that we were told during first service uh, that it was pretty windy. Um, it kind of feels like a day at the beach right now. And uh, if you're kind of in the back perimeter, uh, too far away, and you can't quite hear me, there's plenty of space up here to still socially distance yourself uh, if that's what you're concerned about uh, or even here along the hill. And you can feel free at any time to just kind of move forward if you can't hear. Can you hear me back there? All the way in the back, a guy in the red t-shirt. Can, can you come, uh, can you hear me back there? Like up over the hill? Yeah, thumbs up there. All right, so maybe we switch something up. So that's good, I can be heard, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, you may or may not be thankful for that by the time we're through. <laughs> um, okay, we're looking at Sermon on the Mount again, and we're gonna be in Matthew chapter five again if you have your Bible. Uh, if we're gonna be outside over the course of the summer, you're gonna wanna make sure to be bringing your Bible, whether that's on your phone or the book in your lap, uh, what have you, but bring your Bible with you. Uh, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 16 this week. And you'll note, if you've been tracking along through the Beatitudes, that we just skipped the last Beatitude, one that has to do with persecution for the name of Christ. That's going to be Matthew 10 to 5, 10 to 12. The reason for that is because next week, and please hear me say this, that next week we're going to have one of our global partners is coming from a place, a culture, a country uh, where persecution of Christians is just, um, you know, an extreme daily reality for them. And so this man is going to be coming and he's going to be talking about that final beatitude in Matthew 5, 10 to 12 next week, both services, and you just do not want to miss that. So please hear me say that and please come back next week to hear him come from far away and to share with us. So that's another thing that I wanted to mention. And uh, I've got to put my communion cup down. And then I've got to open up to Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to read us the text for the morning. It's a pretty famous text. You've probably heard this before, but it is so powerful. And it says this. This is Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth. Interesting that he doesn't say there you will be. He says you are. And he says you are because I've already made you that. I have made you that and I am making you that. 
And you'll see the construction kind of one after another of proof of the Beatitudes emerging in your life. There's proof. Yep, I've made you salt and I'm still making you salt. I've made you light. I'm still making you light. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. So we are the salt of the earth. And, you know, if there's kind of an overarching premise this morning, hear this, that we need to be and let us just go ahead and be who we are. We're salt and light. He's made sure of that already. We're salt and light. Now, how do we go about that? What are some particular aspects of salt, maybe of light as well, that would kind of help us to know how it is that we go about that to be salt and light in a world of, let's call it infertile or really bad soil, rotted meat and darkness. So how do we go forward and be who it is that we have already been and are still being created to be? So the first thing I want to do actually is share a little bit about uh, maybe some of the aspects of salt. Okay, so I'm thinking about salt and uh, one of the things that comes to mind is how common it is. It's just so common, right? I mean, the world's oceans are chock full of salt. You go to the grocery store and you're gonna find salt. There's not a supply shortage of salt. It is there to be found. I'd better have it in Kim's kitchen, right? So there's no shortage of it. It's common. Same thing with light. Light is as common as the sun is to rise every morning. God promises that'll happen. So from the East, it says in Psalm 113.3, from the rising of the sun to its going down or to its setting, the, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Light is that common. So it's common and it's pervasive. It's pervasive. I mean, here we sit, you know, most of us in an open field and we don't need to turn on a lamp, Right? You don't need your flashlight right now because light is so pervasive. So it's common, it's pervasive. And have you noted that it doesn't take much of either salt or light to be useful? It's so useful. Just a little bit of salt, you know, on the steak that I order hopefully uh, this Wednesday night at Carabas, just a little bit of salt on that steak is just going to make that thing succulent. <laughs> and I'm going to love it. Just a little bit of light. I, I remember I had a friend um, 
you know, he was, he was a bigger guy, kind of an adventurous sort of a guy, a guy who liked an adrenaline rush regularly. Uh, and so one time he made a choice to go into Eagle Cave. I know that some of you guys have been in Eagle Cave up in the middle of the Adirondack Park. Well, this guy decided that he was going to go in alone. Um, you know, big guy, you know, strong guy, but he can fit through some of the cracks, you know, in the cave and that kind of thing. 6'6", 270. Okay, big guy. But he went in alone. And he only had one flashlight with him. And I don't remember if he accidentally dropped it and shattered the bulb or if the batteries just went out and he hadn't checked before he got in there, you know, how strong his batteries were, but he lost the flashlight. Now he's by himself, no flashlight, probably three caverns deep into Eagle Cave. And what's he going to do? He had on his wrist one of those old Timex Indiglo watches from running. And he was able to actually use just a little tiny glow on his watch over the course of two or three hours to get himself out of that cave. Uh, just a little, little bit of light can go a long, long way. So that's just another aspect, I think, of salt, salt and light together. Salt and light, both of them. You are the salt of the earth. Just a moment ago, I was kind of making some comments about the Beatitudes. Have you noticed when it comes to the Beatitudes that you start poor in spirit and then you're working your way up, you know, through things like mourning uh, and meekness and uh, uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, pure in heart, uh, the need for comfort and so forth, uh, eventually to peacemaking, eventually to persecution, that these Beatitudes tend to build on one another. And that I'm using the kind of language where God says, you are salt and light because I have made you to be this way. And that is these beatitudes kind of emerge in your life one after another and one upon another. That what's happening is that you are becoming the very thing you already are. Okay, so that as the beatitudes work their way into uh, our saltiness, Maybe we can call it our saltiness, our lightness, that we're becoming stronger and stronger and that we want to take advantage of every opportunity to be what it is that we've been created to be. So the Beatitudes, what they're going to do is make us different from the world. And I just want to take a second and let that sink in. What the Beatitudes are going to do more and more as we see them kind of rearing themselves in the power of the Holy Spirit in, but also from us, is that they're going to make us more like him and they're going to make us more different from the world in which we live. So more and more, as the salt emerges and as the light comes, difference, not similarity. And maybe for some of us, that, that's just the most important thing to hear this morning. That even in our outreach, even in our evangelism, not more and more like the world, even in an effort to try and reach the world, but less and less like the world. And it's not that we're trying to be different from the world, it's that he is making us salt and light and that we find ourselves, whoa, 
I'm looking around me and I'm a lot less like the people that I used to hang out with maybe than I used to be. So that's happening in our lives. Go ahead and let it. That's happening in our lives. Go ahead and let it happen. Overarching premise again. Let's just go ahead and be that which we have been made to be. All right. How do, how do, how do we go about that, though? How do we go about that? Maybe some, maybe a little bit of insight here. You know, what I want to do is just kind of run. You know, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm smiling to myself right now because I really do want to run through some of these texts and just have us look quickly and see how it is uh, maybe that we show up um, and how the world will experience us as salt and light, how we'll bring glory to God the Father through our saltness and our lightness as we live our lives. So I want to do that. We're different from the world. We're looking to preserve the meat of the world, okay? We're looking to serve as seasoning this way. We're going to talk about that in a moment. We want to preserve the meat. We want to, uh, please don't think that I'm trying to be too cute here um, by, by rhyming, but, but we want to delay the decay. We want to delay the decay. And if you know me you know, personally, this is the phrase that really is gonna stick in my mind. Uh, slow the rot. <laughs> three three one-syllable words. Slow the rot of the world. And my wife is down here smiling because she knows that this, it's kind of a, you know, she gets a little nervous when, when I start to preach like this and, and she senses maybe that it's a little bit of a strong message. Slow the rot. Don't feel intimidated by that though. You have been made and I have been made in such a way that by just being who he has made me to be, I'm doing what he wants me to do. There's no reason to be intimidated. Don't take that as a hard message. That's not some kind of prophetic confrontation. What it needs to be is more of an encouragement to rise up and just live my life. And all is well because I know who he's made me to be. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He's made me light too. All right. Delay the decay, slow the rot. Turn to Ezekiel 16, verse 4. Turn to Ezekiel 16, verse 4. And I, I've got to tell you at, at this, about this chapter, I think it's, it's one of, well, it's one of three favorite chapters of mine in the book of Ezekiel. I love this chapter, chapter 16. Here's what's going on. It, it's kind of a metaphor between God and Israel and the relationship that they share. And so God in this chapter, it's a graphic chapter, very much a kind of a biblical rated R chapter. And what you have is God coming on the scene and finding Israel, who is a baby just been born and uh, in a sense, just tossed aside into this open barren field and there's some stubble in the field and the baby is still covered in blood and thrashing about in the straw uh, and junk of the field and that's when God shows up. And so God shows up and he says, hey, to Israel, I took you. 
and I made you mine. And one of the things that I did was, was uh, I, I cleaned you up. And I'm about to tell you that uh, I'm going to raise you. Uh, and then I'm going to cover your nakedness. And then I'm going to make you beautiful. He says, I'm even going to put a ring in your nose uh, there in Ezekiel 16 to make her more beautiful. But this is what he says in verse 4. And I find it just fascinating. And as for your birth... On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. So do you see that baby, that poor abandoned baby that was Israel? But one of the things he says is nor rubbed with salt, that there's this idea that medically speaking, uh, for whatever reason in ancient Israel, that the idea was to make a baby healthy and to help it be healthy uh, right there in its, in its first uh, hours, uh, in its first days, was, was to be able to take it and to rub salt somehow over it and to cleanse it is, is the idea there. And that you have this baby um, who can't fend for itself, but that it needs someone to come along and do something for it. Rubbed in salt brings newborn health. Rubbed in salt brings newborn health. As those born of the Beatitudes, we can be salt and light immediately from infancy, seeking every good opportunity immediately. Maybe you haven't come to Christ uh, very long ago. Or maybe for some reason you feel still intimidated uh, you're not quite sure about the spheres of life that you're in and maybe how friends or even family uh, will, will regard you. But did you know that you still have an opportunity to seize right now, today, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, that these beatitudes are being built up and built into us, that they've made us salt and light, and you have an opportunity as of right now to be who you are, no matter for how long you have been it. So be encouraged by that. Seize every opportunity from your infancy. From your infancy, seize every opportunity. Flip back to Judges 9.45. You know, the book of Judges is a wild book. And... Um, it, it is not especially inspirational. It is a book in the Bible that just goes from bad to worse. Um, you know, the, the cycle of kind of sin confess, sin confess, just goes from bad to worse in the book of Judges. And that you've got, uh, you know, different characters that I won't get into right now uh, at the front end of that book. By the back end of that book, it just gets atrocious, some of the most horrific language in the Bible there in the last several chapters of the book of Judges, and that the last verse of the book of Judges says this, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Like, does that sound familiar to you right now? And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. All hell broke loose. Everyone did what he or she thought was best. In the middle of that sin-confess cycle where the Israelites would kind of turn to God, oh, we're persecuted, God would then 
listen to them, repent. He would send a judge to deliver them. And then after a while, their comfort level would rise and they'd go back to their sin. In the midst of that, you have this character, Abimelech. And just suffice it to say here in chapter, chapter nine that uh, he is a bad man and he's going back and forth and these you know, villages are, are going into battle with one another, trying to ambush one another. They're killing women and children. I mean, it's just terrible, terrible. And in Judges 9, verse 45, it says, and Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it. He raised the city and sowed it with salt. So here's the idea about sowing with salt, that when you sow salt with something, it ruins it. When you sow salt into something like that, it ruins it. And so what we want is to be able as Christians with our salt to sow ourselves into the, into the bad, bad soil of the world, the ungodliness. As godly, we want to sow godliness in to ungodliness in an effort to preserve, at least for a while, slow the rot. That's what's going on there. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it. And he raised the city and sowed it with salt. I think that Adolf Hitler actually did that. Um, I might have some of the details wrong, but I think I got the main stuff right. That part of Hitler's inner circle early on was, I think, a school teacher by the name of Reinhard Heydrich. And Reinhard Heydrich was a little bit of a younger guy, and uh, we won't talk about the things that he involved himself in, but he had one of his mistresses, and he was in an open convertible. He was traveling south of Germany, I think in what is today the Czech Republic, and a, f a handful of Czech uh, resistance uh, fighters there in World War II actually uh, surrounded him at one point and assassinated Reinhard Heydrich. Hitler, when he found out about that, sent his stormtroopers uh, down to that village, and I'm told that they killed everyone, men, women, and children in the entire village there surrounding. And then what Hitler had done was that he sowed salt into all the fields all the way around. There's a phrase, and I don't know if it's a poem, but the name of the town I think was Lidice. You can look that up. Don't, look, don't Google that right now. But look that, look, look that up later. You could check me on that and email me that if I'm, if I'm wrong, all right? Plowing salt makes the ground of ungodliness less fertile, preserving righteousness, preserving righteousness. Flip over to Colossians 4.6. Let's go to Colossians 4.6. Here's the idea that salt seasoned speech builds others up. That when we season our speech with salt, we can build up other people. And it says this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
And then very quickly, you don't have to turn here, but I'm just popping back quick to Ephesians 5, or I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, verse 29. It's kind of a complimentary text to the Colossians verse we just read. And it says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And back to Colossians 4, let your speech always be gracious. You know, it's not only about what we say, but how we say it. It's not just about what we say, but how we say it. I remember my dad was a long time ago saying to me, you can say anything you want. You can say anything you want as long as you say it in the right way. <laughs> my dad could kind of be that way. He, he reminded me, there, there, there were times in my life that my dad reminded me kind of of Clint Eastwood. Can you imagine what it would be like to have Clint Eastwood as a father? You know, sometimes he reminded me, right? Yeah. You can say whatever you want as long as you say it in the right way. But when I tell Kim that I love her, she can tell the difference as to whether or not I'm saying, I love you and I want you to understand that I love you versus, yeah, right, see you later. Because there are times when for me, it's just pablum coming out of my mouth. I'm in a hurry and it's just like, yeah, I love you. She's like, no, you don't. <laughs> or you wanna be just rushing right out the door right now, you might wanna come back and love me a little bit more and actually prove it to me again, because I could use a little bit of that right now. So it depends on how I say it and then what I do to follow it. Speech seasoned with salt can build others up. You know, too little Salt, too little salt, there's no flavor. Too much salt is overwhelming. Too little salt, no flavor. Too much salt, overwhelming. It says in Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Can I just emphasize another word in that and, and share that with you again? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Sometimes as we're living out our saltiness, living out our light, we can kind of become consumed with ourselves. The text later on in Matthew is gonna say, hey, let your light shine. Let your deeds be known for the glory, not of yours, but of your Father who's in heaven. And sometimes if you're like me, you can get kind of caught up with yourself to want to make more of yourself. That it really rather have someone think more highly of me than I would even of the Lord. It's a little bit of an admission. I don't want to be that way. And you don't want to be that way. When we say taste, when the Lord says taste and see that the Lord is good, our saltiness must be such that when people taste him, they see his goodness not ours. And if they're going to see our goodness, then our goodness needs to be the uh, kind of the, the kind of goodness through which his spirit is going to work to carry the truth of his goodness from our goodness into their understanding and into their hearts and lives. 
He's the one who needs to receive the glory. Taste and see that he is good. All right, flip back to Leviticus 2.13. You know, I mean, you can, you can call your friend or your, or your mom like I do every Saturday afternoon. I try to call my mom. But uh, let, let, let her know, let her know, let, let, let your friend know that we made it into the book of Leviticus this morning. Leviticus 2, verse 13 says this. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. An association of salt to obedience and to faithfulness. You know, for, for some reason, God wants salt. And we can kind of study the scriptures and we can find, you know, what is it about salt that's meant to be communicated? Why is it that God wants salt? But even before we do that, or whether or not we do that, kind of a chief point right here in this verse is that he wants it for whatever reason he wants it and he wants it from us. He wants it to be included Old Testament style, you know, and the offerings that you give me need to be seasoned with salt and so forth. But that I want salt and that not only do I want salt, I want this from you and I want it in a certain way from you which needs to be telling us a little bit more about um, just the kind of life that we live. You know, all the scriptures that talk about our love for one another, the fruit of the spirit born out into the world and so forth. But that it's a matter of obedience and faithfulness. God wanted salt, so we give him what he wants and the way he wants it. We are faithful to obey by being salt by just being Christ followers, by being serious Christians empowered daily by the Holy Spirit, by just being salt. It makes us trustworthy along the way. All kinds of biblical characters are coming to mind. You know, Joseph and how it was that he was so faithful, uh, faithful in Potiphar's house. You know, he was faithful in front of Potiphar's wife who lied about him. He was faithful to Potiphar, who threw him in jail. He was faithful to interpret the dreams God gave him of the baker and the cupbearer. He was faithful uh, when he was still there after two years, the Bible says, and he'd been forgotten by the cupbearer. It was kind of his, you know, he was hoping that cupbearer was his ticket out of of jail. And then the cupbearer forgot about him. He was still faithful. You know, how many times Daniel just so faithful with multiple kings of Babylon and then then into the Persian and Medes. And he's just so faithful. John the Baptist in front of Herod the Great. You know, there's sometimes you're preaching along and something just catches you. You know, John the Baptist, Herod the Great, and just how John's attitude would have been, you know, let him do his best. But I will not deny my. I will not deny my Lord. He met his end. John the Baptist met his end. You know they 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 decapitated the man. 
and brought his head on a platter into the courtroom. But he was faithful. One of my favorite stories in the scriptures, and I actually gave my son the middle name Micaiah because of this. I think that Micaiah is pretty much only mentioned in 1 Kings 22. And this is the story, the backdrop, that you've got two kings, Ahab, king of the northern kingdom, Jehoshaphat, king of the southern kingdom, and that Ahab, just an evil, evil man, uh, decided to go into battle and he wanted an alliance with Jehoshaphat before he did that. So the two kings get together and Ahab parades all of his false prophets before them. I think the number is 500. I'd have to go back and check that. And they all say the same thing. Go forth, O king, and you will be victorious. And at the end of that parade, uh, Jehoshaphat turns to uh, Ahab and he says, is there a prophet of the Lord from whom we can hear? And Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, well, there's this one guy and his name is Micaiah and I hate him because he never says anything good about me. <laughs> but if you really have to have a prophet of the Lord, then we'll have him come. So the chief prophet of those false 500 goes out and he gets, you know, to fetch uh, Micaiah and he says to Micaiah this, he says, now all 500 of us have said the same thing and we don't need you to be a wrench in the works. And this is what Micaiah says back to that chief prophet. He says, I can only give what the Lord gives to me. I can only pass on what the Lord gives to me. You talk about faithfulness as salt and light. He steps into the pavilion or the courtroom, whatever it was where they were meeting and they ask him, all right, what say you as to the success we're headed into? You know, and he gets real sarcastic, Micaiah does. And he just says, hey, uh, go forth, you know, and, and, and be blessed. And it's just going to work out awesome for you. And then, uh, you know, Ahab says, how many times do I have to tell you to tell me the truth? And then he tells him the truth and he says, yeah, you're doomed. You won't come back. And sadly, and yet gloriously, Ahab then says, I hate so much your prophecy that I'm going to take you and I'm going to throw you into a cistern, which is kind of like an underground, uh, you know, it had been a, a well or, you know, storage for water. I'm going to throw you in there and you're not going to be let out of there until I return from the battle. But the whole point was that you're not going to return. So for all we know, that was how Micaiah met his end. That he was in that cistern, that he was left in the cistern and maybe people just forgot about him after a while. Who knows? God knows. He was faithful as salt and light. Back to Matthew 5. Back to Matthew 5, our, our text for the morning. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
I'm going to say just one thing about that super quick. There is a Greek word. I think it's pronounced something like moranthi, something to that effect. But it is the word that has to do with losing one's saltiness. It's used two other times in the New Testament. In both of those other times, the connotation is that to lose saltiness is to gain foolishness. To lose saltiness is to gain foolishness. Something to think about when it comes to this idea of losing one's salt. Then verse 14, you are the light of the world. Again, emphatic. You're this way. This is who I've made you. Live it. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So that the idea is there in ancient Israel that, you know, you, you've got uh, not a whole lot of light pollution. You don't, sure don't have electricity back then. And so as you're making your way at night, you know, you're after dark and you're coming over the hills. Maybe you're in the wilderness. Maybe you're way out on the plain, wherever it is. But that there's a city and it's set up there on a hill. And there's just enough light because people have lamps inside their rooms on the city so that there's a little tiny glow coming out. It cannot be hidden, even in the darkest places, in the darkest time. It can't be hidden. When I'm sitting on my back deck and I look out, you know, and the clouds are low enough, I can look straight over Ski Round Top and all the way to the southeast and the distance, there's this glow that's kind of up there uh, just under the clouds. That is the city of York. <laughs> That is the city of York when I, now Dan Spino, uh, Pastor Dan made sure to tell me that uh, you don't want to make sure, make sure you don't liken the city of York to a city on the hill biblically. So I want to go ahead and make that clear. It's not a comment about York. It's just a comment about a city and light. All right. Goes on. Verse 14. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. What would be the point? They put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Not only so that light, uh, you know, you can be using the light in order to see, but so that you have the light to be drawn to. You know, we're light so that people are drawn to us. And as they're drawn to us and are preserving seasoning activity in the world, they come to be introduced to him. The closer they get to the light, the better they get an understanding of who he might be. And that eventually they're going to be entering into praise because they've been drawn. It's not just that they can see, but that they've been drawn. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Last text we're going to go to, this is Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, so turn back there if you got your Bible. Ephesians chapter 5. If it says in Matthew 5, let your light shine before others, the question becomes how? How do I let my light shine before others? I think Ephesians 5 does a good job addressing that. It says this in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness. But now you are light. You were darkness. Now you are light. Light. Light is purity. Light is truth. Light is knowledge. 
Light is God's presence. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Light is all those things. Walk as children of the light. Walk. You know the verse that comes to mind? It's a famous verse, Micah 6, 8. For he's told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? It says to do justice. To do justice, to love kindness. I find it fascinating in that verse that it's, you know, activity toward justice, action toward justice, but that there's this affection toward kindness, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Again, if you're like me, you know, uh, there are times in my life when I get out in front of God. I'm thankful that he's there, but that I'm also thankful that he's behind me because I've got my own agenda and I'm sure hoping that he's going to bless me. I think it's kind of what he wants to do, but I know for sure that it's what I want to do. And so that's the direction I'm headed in. You know, on my pride and my independence, that's the direction I'm headed in. That's not the kind, that's not what it means to walk with God. That means to, to walk in front of God. But then neither do we want to be the kind of people who are walking behind God, okay? Yes, God goes first and we follow his lead. But in the sense of Micah 6, 8, we want to walk with him. Too often in my life, I can also find myself uh, at, at times in my fear, or maybe even in my self-pity, you know, a season of depression, but then I'm walking behind him. And so he's asking me, no, I don't want you to walk behind me. I want you to walk with me. And you do that humbly for sure, but it's not humble of you to walk behind me. That's just a lack of faith. What I want is for you to walk with me. And you trust me. Humbly trust me, but walk beside me and let's go forward together. That's what it means to walk with God. Okay. Walk as children of the light for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. The fruit. You remember Galatians 5? They used to sing a, a song at Tapawingo. Remember that? You know, the fruit of the spirit's not a coconut and they would all, the fruit of the spirit's not a coconut. The fruit of the spirit's not a coconut. The fruit of the spirit's not a coconut, or, or how's it go? Yeah. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the spirit because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what Ephesians 5 is talking about when it talks about fruit. So what it means to walk with God as a child of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. To discern. It says in Romans 12, 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Love each other above yourselves. Love must be sincere. But did you catch those two phrases, the second two phrases? Hate what is evil cling to what is good. How can you hate what is evil and cling to what is good if you have no discernment? We need to know the difference between right and wrong and the way to know the difference between right and wrong is to just stay in the word, just keep reading. You are salt, 
You are light. The way for you to preserve is to maintain that righteousness and the power of the Spirit, Sermon on the Mount kind of righteousness. Stay in the Word of God. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in, in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. So, expose. Back to Matthew 5, and with this we're wrapping up. In Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory not to you, but to your Father who is in heaven. To him, to him be the glory. So we want to remember that. Now it's communion Sunday, and so we're going to go ahead and we're going to celebrate communion right now. Let me share this with you. Then when it comes to communion, uh, as we read the scriptures, the scriptures make clear that communion is a privilege meant for those who have already stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you have not yet begun that relationship with him, then we're going to ask you to go ahead and abstain. It's okay that you abstain. It is not okay that you do not yet know him. We're very much praying that you would turn to him even today. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, take my hat off, pray. I'm going to give thanks. Then I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, and then we're going to partake of communion together, okay? As I'm praying, I'm going to try to take a little bit longer and you have that serve as time for you to kind of repent and make sure that in your heart, in your spirit, that you're where you should be in your relationship with Jesus right now. If there's any sin in your life that you're aware of, now's the time to quietly in your own mind go ahead and repent of that. And you can do that while I kind of pray at this time. So let's go ahead and pray. So Father, we've just heard what it is that Jesus said. And it's, it's interesting that when Jesus shared these three or four verses that he did not elaborate on them. He did not elaborate on them the way that I just did for the last half hour or so. But that for him and from him, these verses were perfect and able to stand alone. And Father, in them you say to us, you are salt and you are light. And Father, we just pray for the strength to go forward, the faith, the obedience, the humility, the love for one another to keep going forward and to be who it is that you have made us to be. We pray for that. And Father, here we are and we're about to turn to this act of communion that is not just an act. You say in your word that for as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so we want to remember Jesus. 
want to remember him for who he is, not for who he isn't, not for who we wish he was, not for who in our pride we think he should be. We want to remember him for who he is and we want to remember him for what he has done. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And Father, we want to give thanks for his body given for us. And we want to give thanks for his blood shed for us. That makes the difference in the universe eternally for us. And so we thank you for that. We confess our sin. Father, we know that we have, we have confessed our sin and you have forgiven us, that you've brought us into this saving relationship with you and that we cannot lose that salvation because you have sealed it with your spirit. And we know that to be true. We thank you for that forever. But Father, you also tell us in, our, in your word there in 1 John that when we are faithful and just, Father, forgive me. You, you tell us in your word that when we confess our sin to you in an ongoing way because we keep sinning, that you are faithful and that you are just to forgive us of that sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so Father, we thank you for that too. We thank you because you extend that forgiveness because of what Christ has done for us which is the very thing we are celebrating and remembering right now, that he gave his body and his blood so that we each wouldn't have to give our body and our blood. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he wraps up by saying this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he will come. 